Welcome to the Grace Church Podcast, an extension of our adult Sunday school ministry and stories of grace. Pastor Brandon here, along with Pastor Steve. Hey there. And we are committed to utilizing this platform to continue our church's rich tradition of deep theological teaching through our adult Sunday school ministry. Though this unique season of following Jesus has not been without its share of challenges, we hope that you will tune in weekly to dive deeper into the scriptures as we hear from the vast array of teachers that we are blessed to call family here at Grace Church. And welcome back, everyone. Thanks so much for tuning back in. Yesterday, uh, Pastor Tim shared with us out of the book of Jonah, and that was just so uh, so helpful, Tim, to just hear um, the broad overview of the narrative of Jonah and all, all that's going on there. So thank you so much for uh, taking time to do that with us and to just open up mm. the Bible and talk about God's Word and what's, what's going on there. So thanks. Yeah, you're welcome. Um, so now we're going to just take some time to maybe unpack what you had talked about, maybe just ask a few questions, ask you to maybe tease out some things that you had shared sure. that maybe you could just expound on that, that you don't get time to talk about in just 15 minutes. And mm. so we can take as much time as we want now, preferably no more than like an hour, but, <laughs> <laughs> but we'll take some time to just kind of talk through. Uh, some of this stuff. And so Steve's here and Tim's here. Uh, yeah. So where do we want to start? Yeah. So, I mean, I it's okay if we don't spend too much time on this, but I'd love to hear at least some of the background of why you chose Jonah and mm. just your, um, your connection sure. to, yeah, let's, yeah, let's do yeah. this as, uh, yeah. you know, this overview of Jonah as yeah. the, the first episode here. Yeah, well, like I think I said when I was in seventh grade, it was the Bible study for a VBS, and uh, the it was one of the missionary moms who taught us. We were in Congo, and I could see she was excited about it, and she really liked it, and I thought, yeah, this is kind of a fun <laughs> book. I'd really never read much of Jonah, you know, when, between 1 and 13, but uh, there's a lot of stuff in there. But then uh, later on, as I was in seminary, um, I realized as we studied more, this is really a, a missions book. It's a book about a missionary. And I was going into missions, and I thought it was important, you know, to promote, to talk about missions and understand Jonah. And so I actually, um, for my preaching class in seminary, I, I had to do three or four sermons, and I was asked to come down and preach for a missions conference. And so I decided to use this. And at that time, I talked more about Jonah. Was he a patriot or was he passionate about other people, compatriot or compassionate? And I, I used the same theme to suggest that actually Jonah was far more of a patriot than he was compassionate. Because as you read this, it seems like he's all concerned about his country and his being, his success, preservation of Israel. Why would he want Nineveh to be destroyed? Because he was... He was a patriot. He wanted to protect Israel. He wanted the best thing of Israel. Hmm. And so I challenge people to, to think of it that way. If it really was about um, wanting to protect Israel instead of hearing God's message of love for an enemy, that's what I want to challenge people because that's what missions is. It's being willing to leave your country, see that your, your, your own people are not, are not the only ones on hmm. the globe. And there's people out there, whether they're desperate, whether they're uninformed, whether antagonistic, antagonistic, whether they're the enemy. You know, I'm often asked, you know, in missions, would you really go and bring the gospel to the Iranians or, you know, to, um, you know, the Chinese or 
to the uh, Boko Haram in Nigeria? And I think this is the answer. Yes, God wants every people, no matter how evil or how hard this. But that's kind of like getting pushed off in the deep end of the pool. <laughs> Some people don't know quite sure where their footing is, and do we really take this seriously? So that's how Jonah became more of a something for me to think in terms of mm -hmm. missions, how we challenge people to go where there could be some rational reasons for not going. Uh, yeah, I've got a question for you just kind of around that. And forgive me if this is an unhelpful question in the way that it's just kind of more philosophical in nature. Mm -hmm. But why why is it that Jonah has become so... Um, if the central theme in the book of Jonah is around God's heart and God's character for the nations and for... Mm -hmm those who are even outside of Israel, mm -hmm. why why is it that when we mention Jonah, what comes to mind is the image of the whale? Yeah. That's, that kind of becomes the, <laughs> yeah. the central theme or image that comes to our mind yeah. when really the, the whole thrust is around God's character and his love for yeah. people. What, how, does, how do we get there? <laughs> I think we get there because it makes a good Sunday school story. You know, Jonah and the whale is at the top five stories you tell kids. This, and we see this as how God basically protected Jonah in the whale. You know, I, I remember... Which better, is awesome. I mean, come on, it's awesome. You better obey or you're going to get swallowed by a big fish. Yeah, that could be it. I should tell Beckham that one, my you son. You should, you should do that, yeah. And I think... I mean, I remember, you know, again, in study, you know, could this be true? A lot of the, the cri mm -hmm. biblical criticism is, well, this is impossible. This isn't be A man can't be in the, f in the belly of a fish. So it's fascinating. And I also remember then that one of my profs at school showed, he had brought this article in. It was from, this is this, a, a written record of somebody from 1876, I think it was, some whaling ship off of England. And according to this this story, there was this guy who was truly disappeared around whaling, and then they caught a whale and they cut him open, and he had been alive in there for a period of time. He was bleached white, you know, oh, wow. you know. But the point was that it wasn't. He said like it wasn't um, the matter of the food. He could survive three days without food. It was air, but there actually was air. Anyway, there was this record, this article in this <laughs> journal that was trying to prove the veracity of this story. I thought, yes, there's biblical proof that scriptures is right. You know, and then later on in my life, I said, you know, I'm not going to argue. This is not the point. You know, I'm not going to argue whether it's true or not, whether this really happened or not. This is what people use. The point is God can do anything and he can do miracles. And Jonah could have been in that whale's belly three days, three nights. He could have survived and come out. So it can't be about just the whale, even though that makes a good story. Yeah, it when has we, to be how it's used. Yeah, when we get off on that conversation about did this happen, could have this have happened, then we've, then we've just missed what the larger yeah. conversation is actually about. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> oh, yeah. Exactly. Yeah, and I I would say that the 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 whale kind of usurps the, you know I, I think for Jonah and as well Israel I think one of the problems is that they really did see themselves as the chosen people, they were the children of Abraham, mm -hmm. right? They were chosen. God said, "I'm going to bless you," and in the good sense there was that wonderful relationship, but in the bad sense I think so many of them had difficulty seeing beyond that that the covenant privilege they experienced was not just for them. And if they had read Genesis well, they would have seen that. Abraham, I'm going to bless you so that through you the nations will be blessed. And I think so often the prophets and the kings and the people just couldn't see past that, hmm. that God truly had compassion for people other than just 
the sons and daughters of Abraham. Yeah, so yeah. it's it's interesting because you, you do have Genesis 12, God's promise to Abraham, covenanting with Abraham, where um, he's going to promise that all the nations would be, would be blessed mm. through him and, and through mm. through his people. And yet it, it was clear that it, that it was God's heart through through the whole the whole time yeah. for the nations and yet and yet um God's people often turned internally there and um so w- one of the questions i had it, it was um i actually heard it from someone else but i i think it's a good question is are you okay with God loving your enemy <laughs> and i think that's what you're, you you even use the word enemy yeah and i i thought that was a, a good word it's it's a look in the mirror it's not mm-hmm. when you read the book of jonah it's not just about wow, you know, Jonah has trouble loving his enemy. It really does point towards us and and our love um, for those whom we would consider to be our enemies. So mm-hmm. may, may, maybe just speak to that. I mean, you you're yeah. the one who was using the word enemy yeah. there. Well, I of course think it's okay to love our enemy. I think we should love our enemy. Good grief! It's New Testament. Pray for your enemies. Pray for those who curse you. The problem is, I think there's a there's a lot. It's pretty easy to really question that inside our hearts. Why should we love the enemy? How do you love the enemy? God blessed us. God blesses me because I'm his faithful disciple. I obey him. I've given my life to him. We are God's people. Of course he blesses us. But if others aren't doing that, why would he bless them? And so I think that's the crux that gets down to most anything, whether it's racial conflict whether it's economic disparity between communities, whether it's, you know, people living different family feuds, international politics, tribalism. It basically comes down that in our own hearts, we really (laughs) have to deal pretty honestly with that. Do I really want to love my enemy? And if I can tell myself I want to, then how to do it is the second part of that. It's not easy. Yeah, we have such a tendency towards othering. We... You know, it's it's those people. <laughs> we we mm. like to point the finger, mm. and and how do you how do you come to a point where you even realize mm-hmm. that you're doing that? I mean, how do you? I guess it's mm-hmm. humility, or what? What is it? Is it yeah. listening to the spirit of God? I mean, yeah. how do you come back? I to think that? one of the ways to do that is just keep remembering who we are. I've heard this in in the the, the tough issue of forgiving somebody. It's really hard to forgive somebody who's hurt you. And if they have hurt you and they are really in the wrong, I mean, sometimes, you know, your enemy can be in the wrong. They actually stabbed you in the back. They did the hurtful thing. And then that sort of gives you the moral high ground, I like to say. I can stand on the moral high ground and look down at them because they're wrong. They owe me an apology. They need to recognize it. They need to come to me. And it's really hard to love somebody and want God's blessing for somebody when you position yourself above somebody else. Mm. And one of the helpful things I've heard in the past is to forgive somebody well, one of the things you do is remember our humanity. We are Mm. all human beings. The minute you remove yourself from being a human being to something other, you're in trouble. Keep yourself, your feet rooted to the ground, on the dirt. That's why I like the word uh, humus. Humus is this black, organic... Uh, ground that we use. It's the broken down particles of plant material and animal material. But that is what has the rich 
stuff in there that grow. And I don't think we can forgive until we're willing to 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 think about humus, that broken mm. down stuff where we can. But to do that, you have to be grounded. And to be grounded is I have to remember my humanity. My enemy who owes me is no I'm no different than them. When you say humanity and remembering humanity, are you speaking more towards uh, that uh, I'm a sinner just like they're a sinner? Or are you talking more about that we're all made in the image of God, and so there's a, a common grace there, and so like some of the, the, the good things in the humanity? or yeah. Like when you have that in your mind of, of, of... I think both. Yeah. I think both. I am a human being. That means mm. I'm flawed. That means I can make a mistake. So how do I have the right to judge that person for the mistake they made and hold that over him when I also make mistakes? And then with that, I am a sinner like God. That's I have been forgiven. God has forgiven me. How could I possibly stand aloof from somebody and refuse to forgive them because they owe me something mm-hmm. or because I deserve something? Both of those. Yeah, it, that strikes at the heart of the Christian faith when you think of the Philippians 2 kind of... Mm-hmm. Our God that we worship is the God who had every right to stand over, and yet he didn't. He emptied himself, took on human flesh, and he became the God who bends to bless us. Mm. That if if there was anyone who had right or reason to stand over others in judgment, he comes down mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. is... Uh, ends up uh, the the night before his death washing the feet of the disciples. Yeah, 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 absolutely. It's modeled in Christ, his work for us. It's modeled in the cross. And yet so quickly, I I don't know why we are so short. We have such short memories as human beings. We Mm. so quickly forget what we've received and what God has done for us and what we experienced. And then so quickly we want to turn around and not be willing to offer that to someone else or to see that in someone else. So, and may, maybe I'm jumping ahead too far here, but but I'd be curious to know just even by way of application or where where do you see this happening today? As you're thinking about the book of Jonah and having compassion um, and growing a heart of compassion, um, certainly you're the missions pastor, and so you, mm-hmm. you, you probably have some thoughts uh, as far mm-hmm. as an application uh, abroad, and yet and yet, I don't think we're uh, strangers to towards a lack of compassion who are uh, even nearer to us, and and the yeah. the difficulties that that so are surrounded there. So may, maybe could you speak a little bit towards um, yeah. an application of of how our hearts are to grow in in this area, whether mm-hmm. it be local mm-hmm. or even mm-hmm. abroad. Yeah, I think one of the one of the key arenas right now is what I would call the Christian Islam conflict. We as Christians seem to tend to see Muslims as the enemy. They're they're different. And when I hear of a young guy who wants to be a missionary to an Arabic speaking country in the Middle East, which is predominantly Islamic, mm-hmm. I say, yes, Lord. There there's a heart that sees a need and is blinded to the fact that they're different or other or dangerous. I remember years ago, there, one of the conflicts in the Middle East, it was two Muslim factions fighting. They were fighting. I can't remember what. They were killing each other. And I brought it up with a friend of mine who actually was, um, I, I can't remember his his persuasion. You know, I said, isn't that terrible? Shouldn't something be done? And you know what his response was? Ah, let them kill each other. Let mm. them just kill each other. We'll be better off. Mm. 
And I thought that's exactly the attitude that's in opposition to Jonah. At Jonah 4 with the, with the vine. Yeah. They're violent. They're different. They're extremists. You know, you could have all kinds mm. of rationale why you'd be happy to let them just exterminate each other, which is similar to what I think Jonah and some of the Israelites might have mm. said to Syria. It shows a complete lack we don't see them as human beings in need. We don't see them as loved by God. We don't see them as um, needing a Savior like we do. And so in the missions, you know, I challenge people to think about, you know, wh what's the hardest? <laughs> what's the most difficult? What's the most distasteful, if you'd like? Like I mentioned, Jonah going to preach to the Ninevites was distasteful to him. And I think it is those who we see as our enemy. Chinese, the Iranians, the Afghanistans, the, you know, those kind of things. So I see it politically, I see it as nation people groups, but I also see it locally as people different than us, different people from a different race, people from a different ethnic background, people from a different economic standing. We live here in Morton, which is a very blessed upper middle class. We don't have to go very far to see people who are different, and we in our hearts might be starting to see them as, um, should we care? Should we get involved? Things like, well, it's their own fault, you know? <laughs> they got into this problem. That's just so different than what Jonah teaches us. And so I encourage us at the local level, the community level, the city, the county level, the national level, the international level, to look at ways how we can see people as God sees them instead mm -hmm. of how we tend to see it from our ethnocentric, our own uh, focus of who are like us and who who we like to be with. Yeah, that that brings me to a question that I've had that maybe we're just kind of continuing on the same same <laughs> train of thought. But one thing that you drew out in in the Sunday school class part uh, from yesterday was um, you talked about how Jonah would rather die than to see yeah see the Ninevites uh, repent. And um, something you said just kind of triggered in my mind. I wonder if the, is there a sense in which the Jonah story could could maybe even be an echo of Cain, who you know when when God asked Jonah, "Do you do well to be angry?" God asked a similar question to Cain. You know, why mm. is your face downcast? And and for Cain, it was he would rather see his brother die than for God's blessing to fall upon him. But for Jonah, it started with, yeah, I would rather see those Ninevites die. But then it even went further to, now I would rather die than to mm. see them repent. And so I guess my question then is, how does one get to that point where they would rather their own life stop mm. than to see God's blessing or favor fall upon the other? Mm. How do you get that low? Yeah, I would just... What comes to my mind right away is what I call myopic vision. Myopic is when your eyes can only focus close and you can't see far. That's why we have glasses to help people with long vision, short vision. It's when we're focused in on ourselves. I think we can want to die when we assume that all that we see, something's wrong. It's terrible for me. It's not what I like. It's when we fail to let God be God and let his vision and his plan for the world to embrace it even when we can't figure it out, even when it's unfathomable. I think that's where it is. I'm concerned about my position. I can't go on. I can't do this. I don't want to be part of this. It makes no sense. I go back to this making sense. I think one of our fundamental problems 
as followers of Jesus is that we people, we want to know. We want to know. And we hate being in a place where we can't know. And if we can't know the outcome or know the purpose or know why, and I don't belittle people who have in situations where it's just unfathomable why God has allowed this to happen. I fully understand that. But if we can get past the sense that what I understand is partial, what I think is unexplicable has a reason, and let God be God, that we wouldn't be quite so quick to um, just want to say, let me die first. Yeah. You also talked about uh, the sailors and how the sailors as heathen even demonstrated more mercy and <laughs> kindness even than even than Jonah did. Yeah. And what's funny about that is I'll bring that to present day is I've mm-hmm. I've even heard people talk about how um there are non-Christians who demonstrate more humanity towards fellow mankind than mm-hmm. than Christians that they've met. Yeah. How do we how do we begin to rectify that? How do we begin to change that? It's it's not only rectifying, but also how do I even reconcile that yeah. in my mind? Yeah. How is yeah. that even possible? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Again, maybe that's a deeper theological question, but I too have found We un- brought you here. We, well, yeah, you're we gonna need, answer we all need the well. <laughs> <laughs> here you are, Tim. This Thank is why you. we started with you, because you have all the answers. Solve it. <laughs> Yeah, I have a PhD, you know. <laughs> That's right. It's pastor hesitating with decisions on theology. <laughs> uh, yeah, well, and, and I've heard this, you know. I've, I've told people, I've seen unbelievers who have been good people, reliable, honest, straightforward, compassionate, you know, and some have said, well, how can that be? You know, they're not followers of Jesus. And maybe this gets to the point that we are actually created, that in God's creation of people, there is a sense there is a sense of decency. There is a sense of right and wrong that's innate in us. You know, I don't know, theologically some might not want to do that, but in the same way that um, when I was working at Morton Mellowcraft years ago, I came back from Botswana, the, the hurricane in Louisiana. The next day, these guys were going around the shop collecting money. We want to collect money. We're going to fill a semi-truck full of food and take it down there. And I'd been with those guys for eight or nine months. I was pretty sure they weren't necessarily followers of Jesus, you know, <laughs> the ponytails and the tattoos and the... Hey, now. I, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm going I'm to get one. Careful. <laughs> no, I, you know, and that was my first experience working, you know, in sort of a non... I had been, you know, missionary overseas, and, and it was really good for me. I think God brought mm. me to that. He gave me a sabbatical from, mm. from ministry to be in the real world, to yeah. learn what the world were. You know, first I was kind of afraid of those guys, you know, they were... Man, I didn't know you could use some of those some of those four-letter words as adjectives, nouns, and <laughs> verbs all in the same sentence. Sorry, uh, but I realized soon they were just people like me. They were trying to make sense of life. They were going through yeah. divorces. They had children. They were strange from strange. They were just trying to find meaning, and they were the first ones to donate time and money to help. So, all that to say, I think that that there is something in that's innate, that's good, and, and it, it reflects that there is some sense of the residue of God's creation in us that's, that's there. And so these sailors somehow had a sense of, of right and wrong, and they, they knew instinctively that, that taking the life of somebody was, was wrong. This is a part of the story that fascinates me. Jump in with any questions, but I wish there was another chapter on what happened to those sailors afterwards. Yeah, it's just fascinating to me because they had a life-changing experience, right? Yeah. 
They took Jonah, they threw him overboard. At this, the men, sorry, they took it through overboard and the raging sea grew calm. I'm assuming it happened pretty quickly. Who were they? Seasoned sailors. Did they know storms? Yes. They had plied the waters for years. They knew all about, but instinctively earlier on, they recognized something was different. Why? They called out to their gods. Mm -hmm. They cried out. They, They realized there was something supernatural about this storm. Jonah says, throw me overboard. They don't want to do that. They care about that. Finally, they realize there's nothing else they can do. So they do that with a prayer. Mm-hmm. Some sense yeah. of innate rightness to do it. And the, the, the sea grew calm. Then notice the reaction. The men greatly feared the Lord. And again, this is not feared to be scared. Like I was afraid of the boogeyman in the attic when I was in third grade. It's to honor. It's to reverence. It's to say, we need to make a change. There's awe there. Awe. And they offered a sacrifice. Hmm. What kind of sacrifice was that? And they made vows to him. What did the sailors do? I think they turned around and went home. Why could they go to Tarshish? They had no cargo. They threw everything overboard. They realized something. So they went home, and when, when they got home, what did they have to do? They had to explain to the businessman why he just lost all his cargo. They had to explain why they didn't go to Tarshish. They said, we met the Lord. There was this fierce storm. We encountered something. I think those pagan sailors had a change of heart and became a better missionary than Jonah. They told the story. Seasoned sailors, you were afraid of a little storm. Oh, no, no, no. This was not a normal storm. This was something. And they explained it. They made vows. Maybe they went on and began to practice their fear of the Lord and sacrifice, and they went and found people of Israel, found people of Yahweh to understand more. What did they tell their grandchildren? I think they told their grand. Let me tell you, Sonny, the day that we had a storm that's unbelievable. (laughs) The sailors were affected. They went back. They were emissaries, I believe, of this event. Who knows how God used the story of these men Mm. when they went back? So that's kind of the unforgotten part, unforgotten part of it. <laughs> As Jonah was going on to do his work to finally obey what God asked him to do, to preach, and got angry because God relented and complained about the, the sweat on his brow. These guys were going back with a story to tell. I imagine it was a little bit like the, the lepers who went away praising and thanking God for being healed. Yeah, I'd, I'd love to study a little bit more what that means by the offer to sacrifice. I mean, if they're still on the ship, they're not starting a fire. So what does that mean that they offer to sacrifice? I'd, just, mm-hmm. I'd love yeah. to look into that a yeah. little bit more. But yeah. that's... It's, a great, it's a great thing to look at. What did, what did they do immediately? So you, me- you mentioned them being potentially better missionaries than, than Jonah. And it just struck me as you're saying that of, yes, for, for Jonah himself, he wasn't a particularly good missionary and yet and yet God used his testimony that Nineveh did repent. <laughs> and so certainly I'm not advocating for we should take on the character of Jonah and yet God used the witness of this pretty crummy prophet to to turn <laughs> to turn Nineveh to yeah. himself. Now I, I world history like Nineveh goes back uh, in their own way and yet and yet many repent and turn, and and what do we do with God's crummy, power? It's funny you say crummy prophet. I mean, like, this is one of our, quote, heroes of Scripture, and the guy's a jerk. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm not saying I'd yeah. rather be Jonah, and yet, right. and yet, yeah. I mean, 
that's pretty amazing that God used the the word. He was, it was God's word. He was successful in he, in a sense. In a sense, he did what God asked him to do. Another thing that I find fascinating: notice what the words are that are actually used in the story. When God first comes to him, what does he tell Jonah to do? Verse one, chapter one: Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it. Mm. That's all we have, preached against it, because it's wickedness. So I presume that means Jonah is supposed to proclaim their wickedness and proclaim the judgment that's coming and that God would act. What does he actually say when he gets there in chapter 3? Oh, Jonah 3.3, obeyed the word of the Lord, went to Nineveh. Nineveh was a very important city. A visit required three days. And the first day Jonah started in the city, and he proclaimed... Forty more days and Nineveh will be overturned. Basically, what I'm reading is he's predicting that they're going to be destroyed. Judgment. Judgment's coming. Yeah. Judgment's coming. Now, my question is, in his heart, is that what he wanted? Is that what he hoped for? I think so, based on what it was. <laughs> yeah, I think, I think within the context, Notice, yes, notice he, he doesn't that. say what a lot of the prophets did. Repent, turn mm-hmm. your hearts back mm-hmm. to the Lord, be saved, remember your commitment. Well, maybe that was for the Hebrew people where there was a covered relationship, but you know, I wonder if Jonah actually let them know, if you repent, God may bring salvation to you. He basically seems to just continue with what I think was his heart. Hey, man, 40 more days and you guys are done Israel saved, yippee, God, listen to me, do this well. But lo and behold, they believed and they did repent. So it's just curious that we only have the one sentence about what Jonah actually said. Yeah, like as you read it that way, you almost wonder, did Jonah even share the right message that he was supposed to bring? (laughs) Yeah, you would think from God's compassion that he wanted to give the whole gospel, the whole story, mm. so to speak. Yeah. Repent your wickedness, but God is loving if you do. Yeah. And in fact, we know that <laughs> that was a possibility because Jonah says, I knew yeah, that, clearly that, that you that, yeah. would relent, that you could bring mercy if they would. Yeah, the NASB doesn't only say preach against it, it says cry against it. And so there's there's almost a it's a term of, of passion and, and compassion cry against it, and and we come up with 40 days, and you're going down. <laughs> yeah, I think, you know, the thing that I come away with in Joan, and I, you know, honestly, I want to, I don't want to, it's easy to blame somebody in the story that's far away from you, but the thought I had is, why is it, why is it so hard for us sometimes to wish goodness of mercy on other people? It seems like that's kind of, was Jonah's problem, and that was probably the Israelites, but it seems so often that we we have difficulty wanting to extend the goodness of God's mercy. And I think of the parable of the workers. They go out in the work in the vineyard and they're hired. And the guy hires some in the morning, noon, late afternoon, and he pays everybody the same. That story. They all get a denarius mm-hmm. for the day. The guys who worked one hour get the same amount as the guy who worked now. And they're upset, you know? I can see that it doesn't seem fair, but when I think of that parable and I think of Jonah, why is it that we seem to struggle with wishing, I, I, I call it the goodness of God's mercy or the benefit or the, 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 the I don't know what you call it, not good luck, nope. it's not good luck, but why is that? I think it's this inherent sense of owning 
ownership, being owed, being deserving that kills us. It really hurts us that we deserve something, they don't deserve it. No, the guy who worked for an hour didn't deserve it, but God, the owner gave it to him. So why can't we just be more happy to see other people blessed with the goodness of God's mercy and grace and rejoice instead of comparing it or thinking, well, why did they get it? Or why? It seems to be an inherent flaw. And in, when when God shows heart. compassion on me, I'm I'm just so. Well, he did a good thankful. thing there. Yeah. <laughs> he did he a was good right. thing. Oh yeah. man, that is such a blessing. Yay and, God. Yeah, yay God, and it, and it's praise the Lord when God shows compassion on someone else. They didn't deserve that. Right. Right. <laughs> it's hard. It's hard for us to accept God's compassion undeserved when it's truly undeserved kindness. Hmm. It's hard for us to accept that. Yeah. Uh, on someone else, we we are so thankful when it's applied to us. <laughs> and, and and hey, me personally, mm. I am so thankful that God has has shown me compassion, uh, which is clearly undeserved. Yeah, that's grace. It yeah, is. And when it comes to other people, that's grace at yeah. work. <laughs> it comes back to what we were talking about earlier with with Abraham being called uh, to be a blessing to other mm. nations. Yes, and people part of that myopic vision that I said, we're so short-sighted. We only see it as it focuses on us. Central, we're the center. If we could just get rid of that vision and see the world as God sees it so much more than us, um, I think that would help us rejoice and be glad when people are blessed by God, when they don't deserve it. (laughs) And we can do that when we remember, uh, I actually didn't deserve it either when I got it. And if we forget that, then I think we're in trouble. Um, I just had one more question. Uh, was there anything else that you would draw out of chapter four? Jonah chapter four is just one of my most favorite <laughs> uh, chapters in the Hebrew Bible. I, I love that story of Jonah going out and God using this plant to bring shade, and then the, the plant dries up, and, and Jonah's back to square one. He just wants to die again. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Is there anything else? I mean, this is just such a general question. Is there anything else that you would draw out of that? Uh, I, I, I love that chapter. I love yeah. that story. I think it's just a good reminder of how, of how, again, we can be so focused on the little things that help us instead of the big picture. I mean, what are we talking about? Shade. It's just shade. He's upset that one vine died, and it's because he, it affected him. He benefited, him. Yeah. 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 He now sweats in the sun, and he's not cool, and he's not comfortable. And this is so striking for us as, as believers, I think, that we expect you know, God to provide us comfort and the old prosperity gospel and thing that God's going to bless us. And yet right in front of him was this city. And so I think that that just teaches us that we can be so concerned. God was not concerned about Jonah's comfort. God was concerned about 120,000 people. He was not concerned whether Jonah enjoyed being in the stomach of the whale for three days. He wanted life to come to a wicked people. He didn't care what Jonah was going to say when he went back to Israel. He wanted him to be the agent of his mercy and goodness. And I think that story of sitting out in the sun, pouting because of the sweat, dying of the vine. He was glad when it came. He did nothing for it. 
He was angry when it went away. Maybe that helped him see, you know, as God said in the end, should I not be concerned? Hopefully that helped teach him in his pity, <laughs> pitiful pity party um, to see it from God's eyes, that, that God is so much greater than us. And my comfort, my perspective, my feelings are not necessarily par- paramount to God, but what he wants to do with us and through us for his eternal purpose. It ends so abruptly with God mm-hmm. saying, should I not have compassion for that great city? Mm-hmm. In your imagination, do you think Jonah learned from that? Do you think Jonah just went on to just yeah. continue being Jonah? <laughs> well, that's a great question, Pastor Brandon. I'd like to think that uh, he thought about it a while, <laughs> got up, put his shoes on, and said, Lord, thanks for letting me learn something and be a part of that, and he went away with a new heart, but I don't know. I like the fact that it's so... I like questions. You know, questions are teaching things. And to leave it open like that, it's just a great way of asking everybody, should I not be concerned? It speaks Mm. to Jonah, speaks to me, not having the happy ending. There's no resolution there. Yeah, in some ways, though, that's positive from the standpoint of it it almost doesn't matter. Well, it does matter for Jonah, but it almost doesn't matter what what happened there as, as much as... It's a call to look inward and what. How will you respond? How will I respond yeah. to this? Yeah. Um, I th- and I, I think that's an internal look for uh, Israel first mm. <laughs> uh, from this passage originally, but I think that that certainly translates to us today. Mm. That's good. Yeah. I mean, so <laughs> uh, episode number one, or I guess episode number two, here we are, uh, the Q&R question response time with Pastor Tim. We are so thankful that that you agreed to uh, join us here today and, and just uh, have a look into the book of Jonah, um, some challenging, encouraging, probably mainly just challenging. <laughs> yeah, very a lot of introspection yeah. going on there, yeah. just like, oh man. <laughs> it's, uh, it's, a, it's a tough book. Um, but a helpful, helpful one for mm. us to uh, continue to think through. So thanks for um, your preparation, your care for Thank you. the Word of God. And, it's been good. And uh, applying to us today. So uh, we are thankful for you to join us again next time on the Grace Church Podcast. Um, but uh, appreciate you listening into our conversation. You made it to the end. If you if you made it here, you, you did a good job. You must have been really interested in Jonah or something. Had a lot of coffee before they started. Had a lot of coffee. <laughs> well, thanks for joining. And, and uh, yeah, maybe you're still washing your dishes and it's, it's just on and your hands are wet. So, uh, but we're thankful all the same for you to join in and listen to this uh, conversation on, on the book of Jonah. And we hope that you join us again next time as we're getting started this Grace Church podcast. So thank you so much. Thank you.